16th to the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, and we're going to cover around uh, verse 11 through verse 16. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, I do want to kind of postpone um, and, and go back to verse 1 through about verse 10, but we're going to do that in a few weeks when the Lord get home. And, um, and I say that because a few weeks ago when we were teaching, uh, Brother John said a few statements at the end and more so some questions and uh, some statements. And uh, I just did, did some research. And I'm really excited what, what God has given to me. Uh, there are two different perspectives, two different views at large about what the Bride of Christ is or who the Bride of Christ is. And we're going to discuss some of those things. And I'm going to give you what I feel the Scriptures teach. And then you can be the judge and um, make the evaluation. So we're going to have a good time. And I felt fitting um, maybe to wait until they get here. I know he would enjoy that. And uh, it would be fun for him as well. I appreciate their spirit of being Bible students. And the Johns um, encourage me from time to time with a few of his statements or questions. And um, it's good to talk even after service or before service about the Word of God. And different ones here in the church. It's fun to do that. I know uh, Brother Klein and I have done that, Tyler and I, and the other ones as well. And it's always fun to kind of hash some of these things out. Let me remind you, no one knows it all. And we're all in this together. I pray that we would all have a teachable spirit and just grow in grace and knowledge and truth together. And uh, one of these days, we're going to know it all in a spirit of uh, clarity and precision as the Lord does. As he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. And yet, uh, it's good to be able to expound. I am grateful to be a preacher and a teacher of God's Word. I don't take it for granted or lightly. And I am just humbled that He would choose uh, such a man as I. And uh, I thank God for His Word. It has enriched me. It's blessed my home and my marriage, my family. It's made me a better man. Probably for me, being a pastor, one of the greatest parts of the ministry is in my own personal study. I do love it. I covet it. And thank God for it. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 11, And I saw heaven open. That within itself is an amazing statement. To be able to be brought up into the third heaven and see all the glory of God and the spectacular events, all the praising. And the Bible says in chapter 19, the voice of much people saying, Hallelujah, the redeemed of the Lord say so. Can you imagine as John has given this revelation? He's brought up into this third heaven, the heaven open. Let me remind you that the heaven's going to open one day, and that's really what he's talking about here in a futuristic event. You know, cast your eyes towards the heaven. For us, the body of Christ, it is that trumpet sound, the voice of an archangel, and uh, the Lord Jesus Christ descending. We bring uh, being delivered up from this world of iniquity into a spirit of hope and resurrection for those that are dead. And yet the Bible says, I saw heaven open. So this is the third time the Lord has come to this earth. And uh, we see Him not as a baby, nor do we see Him riding on a donkey. We see Him riding on a white horse, and we thank God for it. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. 
And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood. Bloody redemption. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Without the blood, there is no remission of sins. And his whole life and ministry was the purpose of dying. Bloody, bloody vesture, dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him. Grateful to be a part of that army. Amen? Let me remind you that we're in a, we're in a battle. We're soldiers. Paul said, I fought a good what? Fight. Amen. Put the boxing gloves on. Pull out the sword every once in a while. And use it for the glory of God. It says, they followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of fierceness, the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We pray that you bless your word tonight. Help us with clarity. Feed your people. God, thank you for what we read tonight, how it fills our heart with joy. Lord, to be on the winning side. God, thank you for salvation. Lord, we may be discouraged. Someone might be uh, discouraged here tonight. God, I pray through the word that you would remind them of what they have to look forward to. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Bible picks up in verse number 10. And he reminds us of this thought continually that we find throughout the Scriptures about worshiping God. He says in verse 10, And I fell at His feet to worship Him. John, falling at the feet of an angel, to worship the angel. And I fell at His feet to worship Him. And He said unto me, See, thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant of the, thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Amen? For the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of God. Now, why do I introduce this thought with that verse? Because what we find here is up to this point, there's been a spirit, an economy, a world government, where people have been demanded, if you will, turn over to chapter 16. They've been demanded, excuse me, chapter 13, to fall down and worship the beast. The Bible says in chapter 13, verse 4, and they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is likened to the beast? Who is able to make war with him? The Bible says in verse number 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Bible says in verse 13, And he doeth great wonders, so he that maketh fire come, come down from heaven and on the earth and inside of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying unto them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live, and he had power to give uh, life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Let me remind you what the Bible says in the book of Exodus. You don't have to turn, but as you hear me read it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Exodus chapter 20. The Bible says in verse 1, And I, God, speak all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There's a spirit of consistency concerning the Word of God and the character of God Himself. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here we see at the beginning of this thing, He's commanded men to fall down and worship Him. 
is a jealous God over the nation of Israel, and he's a jealous God over the body of Christ. He desires his creation to worship him. And anything else is nothing more than a very feeble attempt. It is nothing more than a substitute. It is nothing more than a cheap imitation. Thank God that you and I were on the winning side, riding back on white horses. And we, as the body of Christ, believers, we can worship Him today in spirit and what? And in truth. Amen? The Bible says in verse 10, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy. Someone said the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ is easily the most exciting event in Bible prophecy. Leading up to this point, we've talked about a number of prophetical events, but I think for me this is the greatest. To see the Lord returning. And He's not coming as a feeble child in a manger. No room for Him. He's not even presenting Himself um, as, as, as the nation would receive him on a donkey, as a king. He's coming back with authority and power and greatness and might and in judgment. And the Bible gives us a list of his attributes, and we thank God for these attributes. It's powerful. And uh, let me remind you, he's coming back on a white horse, and those that follow him are coming back on white horses. And the devil himself is an imitator. Look over in Revelation chapter 6. Let me remind you, one of the horses that we find here, he says in verse 2, And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. These four horsemen, same entity, the devil himself, and yet revealed to us in different elements and aspects of his ministry of deceiving the nations, and the first horse that he's on is a white horse. It's nothing more than an imitation. And here we are in the 19th chapter. And as we see the end of this thing, the final battle. If you Well, it's not the final battle. The, the final battle is after the thousand year millennial reign when Satan comes out. But here we are leading up to that final battle. This is the, the, the one to come before the final. And uh, here, here we are riding. Here they are riding. On white horses. Let me remind you. Look over in Matthew chapter 24. You know the Bible says in this statement of Revelation. It says I saw the heaven open. I saw the heaven open. You know there's different places that you can go to the scripture. That kind of give us an understanding of the heavens being opened. And Matthew chapter 24 is referring to this great event. So look with me in the 24th chapter. I'll turn over there quickly. You get there before I do, don't read it. Amen? Look down in verse 27. It says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For whithersoever the carcass is, there will be the eagles be gathered together. If you keep your hand here, let me just read this to you. Um, as, as here they are, uh, they are uh, uh, at the battle. He says in verse 17 of Revelation. Keep your hand here. I, I, want, I want to talk about the eagle. He says in verse 17 of our text. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven. Come and gather yourselves together into the supper of the great God. 
what are they going to be eating? The flesh of those that stand in opposition to Christ. And here in Matthew, he's talking about these eagles. Can you imagine the sight? The other day I was up in Sanford. And around Sanford Lake, there's a community, a small community of eagles. Beautiful, majestic, and so powerful. And here the Bible speaks of that. It says, verse 28 of our Matthew chapter 24, And wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven, notice that, one end of heaven to the other. Praise the Lord. Two battles, or excuse me, one battle, two armies. What army are you on? There's always been a line in the sand. These Christians that want to do away with a line, that's fooey. That's messed up. That's nothing but a cop-out. There's always been a line in the sand. Choose you this day, amen? And it, we like to put it off and and definitely the world wants to put it off. But here's a, a, a distinct line where there's two, two armies. And you've got the lost and you've got the saved. Amen? Praise the Lord. I, I thought that was interesting. I saw the heaven open. Look over in Isaiah chapter 63. The Old Testament gives us a, a different look at the heavens being opened. Isaiah chapter 63, the first six verses. Who is this that cometh from, from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This, is that, uh, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save, wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like? Him that treadeth in the wine fat. I have trodden the wine press alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. He's wearing what? A vesture dipped in blood. No doubt that speaks about his power to save. But that also speaks about his power to judge. And the Bible says that the blood of those Enemies are going to be as deep as a horse's bridle. How? By the word of his mouth it cometh out like a sharp sword. Annihilating. And I was telling Noah the other day, you know, my boys love Star Wars. You forgive us. We're carnal. But you know, Star Wars, those um, lightsabers, that's a scriptural thing. There's a lot of these things that sci-fi gets from the Bible. Where do you find that at? You go back to the book of Genesis and the Bible says he put a cherubim over the Garden of Eden, right? With a flaming sword. Can you imagine that sword? I don't know why I thought about that. But some supernatural things going on here. Go with me back to Revelation. Revelation, again, I saw verse 11. Heaven opened and behold a white horse. Let me read to you about this white horse. Jesus Christ will be the conquering king. In ancient times, when a Roman general entered into a 
city as the conqueror, he rode a white stallion to celebrate his conquest. Jesus Christ is coming back victorious, even before the battles, even before the final end. Notice he's given to us in two different aspects. The Bible says in verse 11 that he that was that set upon him was called what? Number one, faithful. And number two, true. Now he's faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. These two statements are in reference to his righteousness, his righteousness both to judge and to make war. Number one, he's faithful. What does that mean? It means that he can be trusted and relied upon to judge every enemy when he comes. He's faithful. His word is faithful. It's true. True meaning that he opposes false. The conquest and judgment of Jesus Christ will be true. Jesus Christ will met out exactly what a person deserves, no more and no less. Some people manipulate that. Jesus won't. You know, it's amazing. The more money you have, the more you can get out of trouble, right? You can pay people off. We've seen it down for the years. Whether it be Michael Jackson or whether it be um, um, O.J. Simpson. You know, people with popularity and people with fame and people with money and different things of that nature. You know, eventually it catches up with them. But here we find in Revelation, praise God, He knows it. And He's going to judge it righteously. He's going to judge it truly and faithfully. And He's going to judge it in a sense of making war. And there's no captives. There's no uh, enemies of war in this warfare. Those that oppose the Lord are annihilated. They're dead. Notice in verse 12, it speaks about different aspects of who Jesus is. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on His head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He's faithful. He's judge. Uh, he's faithful and true. And, and, and he's, he's the judge and he makes war. And then it talks about his eyes. The flame of fire. The purity. As fire purifies. As fire cleanses. As fire uh, corrects. As fire would melt. As fire... Uh, uh, as as, as a jeweler and the Old Testament uh, gives us an illustration how that, that refiner's fire would take and melt down the gold or the silver thereof and take out the impurities. This is exactly what Christ is doing. He's taking out the impurities of the world. And there's a lot of impurities today. A lot of people that stand in opposition to the Lord, to the Word of God. And this is going to be done away with one day. Praise the Lord. Let me give you a few verses here. Matthew chapter 16. Just, just listen. Verse 27. It says, For the Son of Man shall come in His glory of His Father with His angels, and then He shall reward every man according to His work. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12. And I, behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. He says in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. He's going to judge. He's going to judge the world. And we see it in these attributes. 
His eyes were as a flame of fire, melting, melting, consuming, cleansing. Let me read to you a couple of other verses. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, as much as God is going to judge the unrighteous, does He not judge the righteous? You know, let us be faithful. Let us be true. Let us be uh, true to the Word of God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that I want you to notice, if you're taking notes, number one, we see Jesus as a conquering Christ. He's a conquering Christ. Amen. Over death, hell, and the grave, right? Over Satan, casting him off into the lake of fire. Over all the enemies that stand in opposition to the Lord. He is a conquering Christ. I love this. It doesn't show him bruised for our iniquities. It doesn't show him beaten with stripes. Whereby his stripes, you're what? Healed. It doesn't show him with a crown of thorns mashed upon his brow and that blood streaming down. It doesn't show him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Hanging between heaven and hell with nails in his hands and his feet. It shows him victorious. And he doesn't even have to lift a finger. As in the days prior to the creation of all things, what did he do? He spoke into existence. And at his word, judgment is going to be made. Through his mouth, through his, through his, through his voice, all scripture is given by what? The word inspir- inspiration means that God breathed. There's a lot of that that really, when you think about the word of God, whether it be the word of creation when He spoke it, or the written word, or even in this point, looking towards the future, and all that He says. The Bible doesn't go into great detail of what he says. But we know it's going to be faithful and true. We know it's going to be a spirit of consistency and honesty and righteousness. And he's presented as a conquering Christ. And yet that point, what he speaks, is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is the living word. It is something that goes forth that cannot be done away with. Amen? And praise the Lord. You know what? Satan would like to change the word right here, wouldn't he? And he has in many versions. But his word is faithful and true. Satan can change it, but it's still there, is it not? Amen? Look with me uh, on in our text. We see him, number two, as a consuming prince. Verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. His eyes. A consuming prince. This symbolizes a piercing, penetrating power. My mama's got eyes in the back of her head. Where do you think they got that from? Jesus. He sees all knows all. Right? He can't get nothing over mama. She knows it's going to happen before it happens. Well, the Lord does even more. He sees everywhere, even in the dark places behind closed doors. His eyes search the innermost recesses of the heart. He knows all. He's omniscient. He's able to conquer all those 
who reject Him and have this spirit of deception. Look over in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Look down in verse 13. It says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight. But all things are naked and open under the eyes, notice that, the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Eyes of a flaming fire. Amen? Jeremiah 23, verse 24, it says, Can any hide himself in a secret place that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? You go to hell, Christ is there. You go to heaven, Christ is there. You go to earth, Christ is there. Is there a place that he does not see? Is there some kind of dominion or principality or place that Satan rules that Christ is not able to conquer? We see him as a conquering king, as a consuming prince. The Bible says, and think about this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through, through verse 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice what he says back in our text here in Revelation. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a what? A name. He had a name. Say his name with me. Jesus. Aren't you grateful for Jesus? Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so. Amen. It's good to be a little child and sing those songs about Jesus. It's good to be an older man and still sing those songs about Jesus. Amen. There's no name, no other name. Among men whereby, given among men whereby we must be saved. Notice he, he, his, his name. It is, it is a, a consuming name. It is a powerful name. It is a majestic name. It is a saving name. It is a convicting name. Man, you start talking about God, it's one thing. You pull out Jesus. People in our world, they scatter like cockroaches. We can talk about God in public, but don't talk about Jesus as being God. Man, they get mad, mean as hornets. Like a striped snake, they just want to tag you, snag you, put some venom in you, right? Well, guess what? You do what you want, this name is still powerful. Stone my body, burn it at the stake, but Jesus is still Lord. Amen? Isn't God good? Notice what he says here in verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Then he talks about his name again. And his name is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Who's this in reference? Jesus. It's Jesus. These denominations that teach that Jesus is not God and they use the same Bible and they don't see it. It is amazing how the devil transforms himself into an angel of light and deceives him. I'm grateful that he's not just a prophet, not just a man, not just someone that had the ability of miracles and walking on water, but I'm grateful that he is God. And the scriptures testified again and again and again and again. He's the word of God. Notice in verse 13, 
He's clothed with blood. Clothed with blood. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Three coats. Jesus, amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three coats. Thick. Red. You know what red means? I don't know if you've ever studied colors. They talk about yesteryears or maybe 50 years ago. This is more predominant in our society. You dress for the job, not that you have, but the one that you want. And they talk about red being a color of power. Miss Gleason has power. Sasha and Miss Melissa have power. Miss Luann, she's got dark power because she's got a mixture of gray and black. And then, Brother Paul, you've got some Santa Claus power. I like those red suspenders. Amen. You know, red power. It definitely speaks of victory. It definitely speaks. You know, as the Native American Indians would be geared up and getting ready to go into battle, in many cases, on the outside of their appearance, of what they would do to their skin or wear on their body, as they would put the makeup upon the war paint, if you will, to intimidate the opponent and the enemy. Can you imagine the vesture dipped in blood? This is the power of God coming out of the heavens. This is a spectacular sight. I can only imagine. Maybe the eastern sky is open and the beaming sun of God's glory God's creation just shadowing upon his back as he billows down with a with a with with with, with, with clouds rolling off the hoofs of these great horses, these stallions of power, and the armies of God following in white and clean clothes and 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 and, 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 and here they are in fine linen. And up above that, as the heavens are open, you still hear. The shouts of hallelujah, hallelujah. And man, all this coming into sea. And then, boom, he touches down on earth. And he speaks forth the word of God as the armies of the devil think that you have some kind of chance to win this thing. You talk about the lion, the deception. It's amazing. The beast, he's so deceiving. And yet, praise God for the purity of the Lamb. Total opposing when you look at it that way. You've got a beast and you've got a lamb. Innocent, sweet and harmless, without spot and blemish. And because of his lamb and the deity and the power of his sacrifice, here he is coming back with a group that's been redeemed. And on his body, a vesture dipped in blood. Notice number three, the cutting words of Christ. And this really sums up from about verse, well, verse 14 down to about verse 16. The cutting words of Christ. It says in verse 14, the armies which were with Him followed, uh, followed Him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen and white and clean, representing their purity that they received from Christ. You know, at this point, Judgment's been made even in their lives. But what does the Bible say about heaven? No more tears. God wiping away the former things being no more. No longer to remember our failures. 
Paul said, I'm free from the blood of all men. And yet I can't say that. Someday we'll stand before God and give an account for our works, whether they be good or bad, and burn up and what's left and remained. And yet here we are, all of that being done, and following Him. And the Bible says that we are clothed in fine linen. Fine meaning the riches of His grace. The expense. The wealth. The royalty. The name brand. You can't get better of a brand than Jesus Christ. Fine linen. Salt to the touch. Comfortable. Satisfying. Um, warm. An element of just easy to the body. A lack of coarseness. You know, this world is coarse. And life here on this earth is coarse. And it's hard. And praise God, coming back. So sweet. And this is the doing of the Lord. They followed Him upon white horses. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Notice verse 15. And out of His mouth goeth a sharp sword. A conquering king. He's cutting with His words. He says in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 3, I've trotted the winepress alone. He has done it alone. Amen? And out of His mouth. Who was able? You know, if you rewind a little bit, who's able to unloose the seals, the book of seven seals? Who was that man? John kind of was mourning and weeping because no man was able to unloose that book except for one. His name is Jesus. Who's the one doing the talking? Who's the one doing the leading? Who's the one doing the fighting? Who's, In essence, even in our life, who's the one that enables us? His name is Jesus. Out of His mouth goeth the sharp sword, that with it He should smite the nations. I think that's an analogy. I think it's pretty clear. You don't see a sword coming out of His mouth. That sword representing as He speaks the Word of God. What portion of the Bible would He speak? Would it be some eternal word that we don't have maybe a page of that He will speak in that moment and in that day? Will He take parts of the Old Testament and parts of the New Testament? Will He even read from the book of Revelation as He quotes it because He knows it? I'm not sure. But I know as He speaks, it is His word. And it goes forth. And with it, it should smite the nations. To smite, to smoke, to kill instantly. It's not unjust or inhumane, even in His judgment. It's quick. It's uh, in a sense of physical death. It's immediate. And, 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 and it's not prolonged. You know, there's a spirit of prolonging judgment in our society today that just blows my mind. When you've got child molesters that have given life in prison, I don't think they deserve life in prison. I think their life should be taken from them. And this is God's doing as He goes forth and immediately His Word comes out of His mouth and it smites the nations. The nations. Let me remind you, it's not just America that's dying going to hell. It's all nations. Every kindred tongue and fire. It's the Africans. It's the Italians. It's the Canadians. You know, it's each and every one. Out of His mouth goeth the sharp sword to judge all nations. Let me remind you, up to this point, it's all nations standing in opposition. This one world government. And under the one world government, 
leadership that's been placed in position of power to lead nations under his authority. And there they are standing, small and great, and he shall rule them. Notice this. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the wine. Think about that. What does the Bible say about in the Old Testament about sparing not the what? The rod. And our society today is so ungodly when it comes to correcting our children. They think that using a paddle is wrong. I want to encourage you. You know, uh, discipline your children. Yeah. It's good. My dad used to scream out, bring blood when you beat. No. Um, uh, uh, ruling them with a rod of iron. And that's a futuristic passage right in the middle of this great battle. But after this battle happens, what is he going to establish? His kingdom. So you can kind of see all of these things happening. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we have the presentation of Him opening the heavens. All of the chorus of the eternal hallelujahs being sung. And then coming down, riding on white horses, speaking forth the word of God, the battle of Armageddon, and then setting up this kingdom. And this is his, this is his government. This is his authority, ruling with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress, the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You know, as that winepress would speak of crushing those grapes. That pressing, that squeezing, to remove that pulp, if you will, and then to bring forth that which was was good, that which is what they wanted, you know, the juice of that grape, the, the juice of the vine of that grape, that picture of him crushing, he treadeth, he tramples on, he steps upon, he pushes down with the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And then I love verse 16 as he sums it up. And he hath on his vesture. Think about it. When men go to battle, or when men present their colors, do they not display all of their accomplishments? Do they not show different uh, symbols upon their chest and their shoulders and down their arms or even around their wrist at the cufflinks. Oh my, can you imagine? He's the captain. He is the president. He is the CEO. He is the dictator. He is the ruler. He is the chief. He is the, the almighty. Alexander the Great is nothing but a speck. This is God. This is the Lord Jesus. And he, he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What does that speak of? It speaks of royalty. King of Kings. It speaks of deity. Lord of Lords. What does Exodus chapter 20 say? Uh, again, thou shalt have no other gods. And here we have in chapter 
chapter 19, verse 10. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And here we have at the end of this battle, you kind of see. Hmm, if you've got any hmm in you, can you imagine the, 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 the sight of what's going to be done and seen on this great day? I imagine all of it in my mind as he's standing in the middle of all of the ungodliness. They are falling to the ground, blood seeping out of their body. And I'm not trying to be crude or irreverent, but I'm trying to be victorious with the word of God and just imagining what's seen and what will be done. You know, as war is never easy and as war there are casualties and sometimes, it, especially in our world with humanity against humanity, many cases war doesn't always profit. There is a time for war and we thank God for those who have given their lives for the right conquest. Here we see the final war, far greater than World, world War One or World War Two. It's the greatest of all wars, and here he is at the end of this thing. I kind of imagine, you remember, I can't remember, Brother Dave, you help me out, but as the one war where the men were holding up on dead bodies and a couple of men holding up the, the flag of the United States of America, I kind of imagine the end of that thing as the Lord just standing there in His glory and His His power and all of His His being. Those eyes and those that vesture dipped in blood and on His thigh and the the name that ascribed to Him and then the battle cry. <laughs> You don't like shouting, man, you're on the wrong side. Because one of these days, there's going to be a holy fit. You know, people are just going to be at the top of their lungs, rejoicing and excited, victorious, and standing in awe of Christ. He did it. He did it all. From the beginning to the end, he did it all. I'm just here with him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that you'd help us as we go our separate ways, God, to just digest all of the goodness here that we've read. And Lord, we're so grateful that we're on the winning side. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for those beautiful eyes. Lord, someday look upon those eyes. Lord, thank you for that mouth. Lord, as you said, not my will be done, but thine. Oh, Lord, thank you. Out of your mouth cometh the word of God. And as Romans says in chapter 5, that God commendeth his love towards us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is from your mouth. God, those that are on those white horses there because of the word that comes from your mouth, the inspired word, Lord, someday see all of these things. God, we pray that you'd help our mouth. Lord,
would help our lives. Help us to stand. Help us not to forget that we're in a battle. Fight the war. Lord, we serve you. We love you. We praise you. We praise you.